Hi, I'm Dom Starzia, head lacrosse coach for the Chrome lacrosse team uh, here on Pro Lacrosse Talk. On Shriver. Snyder with Scar! Now it's Brian Cabell score! Paul Rabel splits two and scores! Kylie O'Miller showing off those shifty skills. Kelly, not shy, bounces one home! What a start! Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk, the voice of Pro Lacrosse. I'm Hutton, he's Adam, together we're bringing you interviews with your favorite players and coaches, as well as news from all four professional lacrosse leagues. Coach, appreciate you joining us. Uh, you uh, you went to Brown Lacrosse, where you coached. Um, tell me about when you first picked up a stick. I, you know, I read that you didn't know much about the game prior to attending Brown. Um, so how was that experience, your first experience with lacrosse? Uh, it's... Uh... Goes a little further than not knowing, uh, you know, knowing only a little bit about the game. I didn't really know anything about the game until I got to college. Uh, I grew up on Long Island, born in the, born in New York City. I grew up on Long Island, uh, which may sound a little strange to people, but my high school just didn't have it. Uh, we were a little oasis of ignorance, lacrosse wise, uh, and um, so I'd never seen it before I got to college. I had heard of the game, but I'd never seen it uh, before I got to Brown University and fall of 1970 and uh in the days when you had to play on freshman teams in your first year uh, i happened to be the captain of the freshman football team and a buddy on the football team you know asked if i wanted to go out for lacrosse and frankly at that point in my career i felt most comfortable in the locker room more so than i did in the classroom and mm-hmm. and other places and uh so i said sure i'll give it a try and uh literally it almost sounds like i'm making this up I just fell in love with the game immediately, almost as if I, when I picked up the stick the first time, it's like I felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, it, it was almost like that. And uh, I immediately wanted to be – I was a pretty good athlete. I immediately wanted to be known for being more than an athlete. You know, I never put the stick down. Uh, and so I, I had the, there's a lot of good lessons that I can draw on when I'm talking to young players, you know, about do you want to be good enough? Do you want to – do you want to impact your team? You know, what effect can you have? You know, things like that. Uh, and um, and so uh, played freshman lacrosse and then on the varsity the next three years and graduated. Uh, the head lacrosse coach was also the head soccer coach at Brown at the time, and he asked me to be his assistant. And so almost the day I graduated, I became the first assistant in soccer and lacrosse, and literally I'd never kicked a soccer ball until, uh, until I started coaching it and uh you know, as I, as I've gotten older, frankly, I do spend a little time thinking back to, you know, the 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 length of my career, you know, the length of my career in lacrosse, and uh, and you know, here I was a, you know, kind of a naive, you know, silly college freshman who made a made a decision in a probably in a dorm hallway. Uh, sure, I'll try that, and you know, here I am, you know, almost fifty years later. Um, you know, uh, you know, coaching in the PLL and talking to you guys and doing doing some of these things. Uh, so I am I, I don't take it for granted. I am struck by by how my career has unfolded. Well, that's awesome. We're, we're also curious when we were reading about your kind of time as at Brown as a player. Uh, you played offense when it came to the football side of things. So what made you pick uh, the defensive side of the ball when it came to lacrosse? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a bunch of ironies as my career unfolded. Uh, I actually started as a midfielder. I was a midfielder the first two years, uh, um, and I thought I was going to be an offensive player. I worked really hard to, to to work on my stick work, and it was my junior year, and I actually was running on the first midfield, um, and it was the Wednesday before our first game, and the the head coach and the assistant coach, Bob Scalise, who happens to be the 
the athletic director at Harvard was the assistant coach at Brown at the time, and they had they told me to go back in the building, go back in the locker room, and get a long pole. And <laughs> so um, it was the Wednesday before our first game in my junior year in college when I became a defenseman. And ironically, we played we played Virginia in that very first game. Uh, and so on Saturday, I was found myself covering Tom Duquette, uh, who was a four-time All-American attackman, and you know he showed me a couple of things that I hadn't seen on the uh, on the uh, you know uh, pavement in in Rhode Island uh, in in the cold preseason and all, uh, you know. So uh, so then I played uh, I played defense for probably the next 25 years, and I still play now. Actually, I let just last week. I played up at Lake Placid uh, in a division that I helped organize, a 65 and over division, and now I'm a crease attackman. You know, as a as a defenseman, you have some responsibility to stay near your guy, uh, and I didn't. Uh, you know, uh, as a crease attackman, you get to make your own rules in terms of how much you're going to move around, and uh, and so um, I still love doing it. And uh, you know, I got a bunch of friends that we played that we played together for years and years, and uh, so uh, it, it, it's always fun to get together. That's awesome. Now, do you do Lake Placid every uh, summer with with that same crew? Yeah, I've only uh, we um, uh, my roommate in college was a Mohawk Indian from upstate New York here, uh, which is where I'm located right now, and um, and uh, lived on, he lives on the St. Regis Indian Reservation at the top of New York State. David White and uh, David, uh, it was the second year, so this is the thirtieth year for Lake Placid. So it was year number two when Dave called me and. Uh, and said, do you want to play in a tournament uh, that they got organized? I think the first year they might have had six teams involved total, and so it was year two, and uh, and so uh, I said, sure, I'll try that. You know, I hadn't played lacrosse in a while, uh, um, so let's see, you know, 30 years ago was uh, whenever it was. Uh, I was a head coach someplace, and uh, but I decided to give it a try and uh, fell in love with a good bunch of guys from upstate New York, and we've been together ever since, and so... Uh, I probably missed a couple of years in uh, in the 29 years that, that we've been playing, but 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 only a couple. That's great. That's fantastic. Um, that you're still you know able to play um, after all these years. Well, so. play play. Your use of the word play is <laughs> so uh, you know. Uh, but it's a good group, and it is. It's always fun to get together. Absolutely. Well, going off of that, you know, you mentioned a little bit kind of how you, you fell into the game and then you kind of fell into coaching as well at Brown. But, um, you know, what made you kind of want to go the coaching route and choose that as a profession? You know, I graduated. Uh, I had uh, was certified. To, I was a history major in, in college. Uh, and, you know, in terms of lacrosse, I was fascinated with the Native American roots of the game. Uh, and, um, and I did my methods and practice of teaching my senior year at Brown. I was certified when I graduated. I was, you know, I was I was accepted into a uh, VISTA program, Volunteers in Service to America, a teaching program, uh, sort of an AmeriCorps program. And uh, uh, when the when the full-time assistant at Brown, Bob Scalise, who I mentioned, got the head lacrosse job at Harvard. And so uh, after my senior year, so during that year, the head lacrosse coach, you know, needed to replace that position. And so he he asked me if I would if I would be interested in coming back and being uh, being an assistant coach. Uh, being a full-time assistant coach, and um, at the time I was the only was the would have been the only full-time assistant on the staff, and uh, and so I said, sure, I'll try that, and uh, and so that's how I started doing it. You know, my dad for I was the first in my family on mom and dad's side to go off to college. I went to an Ivy League school. Uh, my father for years and years would ask me, you know, when by the way, when are you going to get a real job? You know, and 
And uh, so I started coaching for nine, $9,000 the first year. And, uh, and I actually, you know, who, friends who used to say to me all the time, I really guys don't stay in coaching, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And so I actually applied to business schools. I'd been coaching for about three years. It was around 77 or so. I graduated in 74. I applied to business schools. And again, true story, I applied to both. I got accepted to both Virginia and Carolina. I thought it would be fun to go down and watch ACC sports for a couple of years and go to business school. Mm-hmm. But then I, the thought of doing that helped me to realize I don't want to do that. I, I, I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't ever liked economics and and the business side of things, you know. And so it, the exercise of doing that, you kind of helped me come to terms with maybe I can do this for a living, you know. And uh, and frankly, back in those days, if you'd asked me, I would have told you that at some point during my career I would have wound up as an administrator. But the more I coached, the more I realized that this is really what I love to be doing. That I much prefer the atmosphere in a locker room mm-hmm. to a boardroom you know and uh, maybe there's a gene defect there somewhere but but um, you know the longer I coach the more I realize this is really what I love doing and uh, and uh, so again you know here I am I know I just from reading articles about um, previous coaches like Dick Adele had coached uh, a few sports prior uh, to just coaching lacrosse and and uh, some of my college coaches had said they had coached previous sports. So tell us about the, the coaching the soccer side of things. So I started coaching soccer again. Literally, the day I started coaching was the almost the first time I ever kicked a ball. You know, growing up nowadays, even football kids play soccer in their youth years because it's so organized. Uh, but in my days uh, on Long Island, we didn't play soccer in my town. We just and I don't think anybody did really on Long Island. We all played. Uh, you know, football, basketball, and baseball, and other towns would have played lacrosse in the spring, but I just never saw it. Brown was very good in soccer in those days, and mm-hmm. so uh, when I when I first started coaching, uh, was the you know the, literally the summer after I graduated from college. Uh, you know, I didn't have to do a thankfully I didn't have to do a lot. We had really good teams, and and so uh, um, but I, I learned to enjoy the game and appreciate the game. Uh, I was athletic enough to be able to participate with the players, you know, on some fundamental level. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it was just a, it was a different experience for me that, you know, again, I, you know, when I'm talking to young players, I'm always talking about the fact that it, it, they should continue to play soccer and football and basketball and hockey, that these mm-hmm. team games uh, teach, make you a better lacrosse player. They teach you the fundamentals of athletics, of athletic play. You know how plays unfold, uh, the sense of anticipation, and all. And uh, and so for me, it was an education in another sport and another way to do things. And I think it just made me a better coach overall. Uh, and uh, and I, so I coached soccer for six or seven years. I actually, my first, the first year, they handed me. I was the head women's soccer coach. Also, so I was the in the fall of my first fall, I was the head women's coach. I was the assistant men's soccer coach, and I ran fall across by myself. You know, uh, and so you know now I you know I always slightly chuckle when yeah. you look at you know three or four assistant coaches on a staff, a director of operations, you know, <laughs> all these other positions that we all took care of ourselves at that time. It was just a different time, and uh, you know. But I I I, re- I recall all those days fondly. I was the women's soccer coach for three years. The first varsity women's soccer coach at Brown, uh, I coached at that my third year, and then they took it away from me and, and hired a guy full time to coach the team. And uh, 
And so Brown actually was one of the early pioneers on the women's soccer side of things, and uh, I was I was happy to be a part of that. Well, that's great. Um, and then going from there, you know, you coached at Brown until '92, um, and then you, you took the head coaching job at Virginia in '93. And while there, you won four national championships. You know, one in '99. 0306 and most recently in 2011. What led to your decision to go coach at UVA and you know how was your time coaching at uh, Virginia? Yeah, well we were very happy um, at Brown. You know, uh, my my wife went to Brown also. My four children were all born in Rhode Island. Uh, when I came home, uh, I heard one day uh, during the day that uh, that Jim Adams, the former coach at UVA before uh, before I took over, was was going to retire. And I came home and very. I hadn't thought one minute during the day of, of possibly leaving to go to Virginia, but I came home and mentioned it to my wife that Jim. I'd heard that Jim Adams was retiring, and um, I'm actually there's a book. I'm got a book. There's a book coming out in the in September, uh, and the title of the book is "I Hope You'll Be Very Happy," which is what my wife said to me when I told her that Jim Adams was retiring. You know, uh, she said to me, "I hope you'll be very happy." implying you can go to Virginia if you want, but we're not coming with you, you know? And, uh, and so, um, um, Virginia contacted me first and I interviewed and then I went down to it. My issue was what I told them was, uh, that I had a complicated situation with the kids, you know, that I had four children, two were in all the gifted and talented programs and mm-hmm. two were in the special needs programs. And mm-hmm. so, uh, with the little ones, with the young ones, we had fought with the, uh, school districts in Rhode Island, they were busing all the special needs kids across town to a one to one institution, and we wanted them in the local elementary school. And so mm-hmm. we fought for two years. They finally agreed, and then uh, and then we wound up leaving and going to Charlottesville. My, my the two little ones never started school in Rhode Island. But when I interviewed with the UVA people, I said to them, "This is going to have much more to do about my family than it's going to have to do with lacrosse." And uh, so when I interviewed there, they insisted my wife fly down with me. She spent a day in the school districts, and I spent a day on campus. And by the end of the day, we knew that Charlottesville was ahead of where we were in Rhode Island for services for the girls, uh, that the school district was just, uh, was, it was just further along. And uh, so that's, that, that, that made the decision easier. The lacrosse piece of it wasn't that complicated. You know, I was very happy at Brown. I had coached there. I was coaching there. I had coached there for 18 years. You know, I just had my 40th birthday. I felt like if I don't take this opportunity at Virginia, we're likely to stay at Brown forever, and that I was young enough to start out on another adventure. And uh, when my wife saw that the schools were, were, were going to be good, that was going to be a good situation for the kids, you know, it was something that we were, uh, that we were, uh, it was an easy decision for us to decide to come to come to Virginia and uh and uh you know worked worked out great that's awesome yeah it's great and going off of that you know I mentioned the, the four championships that you had all of them were kind of spread out and you know we, we actually talked to Steel Stanwick one of your former players about the 2011 championship but um what did you see in all those championship teams like was there anything that stuck out that was similar um when you guys made those runs um or were they all kind of unique in their own right uh, well, they're all they're all certainly somewhat unique, uh, but at the same time, you know, now that I've had a chance to step back and I I do a lot of speaking, I I get calls from teams and programs and you know organizations to come and speak about things like this and to speak about leadership and or the requirements for success. And you know, when, when I look back at these team those teams and I had a chance to think about it, uh, the common thread 
that ran through each one of them was outstanding leadership. You know, uh, I got to Virginia in 92, so my first spring was 93. You know, we were in the NCAA, we were in overtime of the NCAA finals in 94. You know, we lost in overtime. Uh, we got back to the final four in 95. We got back to overtime of the NCAA finals in 96, you know, and lost in overtime. And, uh, and so you come to appreciate how hard winning can be, you know, and I, I often use the example of, uh, you, know, you look at Maryland, you know, they win the men's championship in 2017, and, you know, it had been 42 years since they had won the one previous to that. They had been, they were 0 for 9 in NCAA final games. So here I am, it's 96, 97, we haven't won, you know. Uh, and so what's the formula, you know? What do we need to do? You know, you're, you spend all your time trying to figure out how to build a better mousetrap. And, uh, and at the end of the day, uh, I look out the window. It's the summer of 98, and it's the middle of the summer. You can know how hot it can be in Charlottesville. And I look out on our practice field, and there's a young man on the practice field. We have a hill adjacent to the field. He's running up and down the hill holding a 45-pound plate above his head. And uh, it wound up, it was Tucker Radebaugh. And uh, on that, you know, in the, so in the fall of 98, Tucker was going to be a senior on that team. And and uh, the sense of urgency when we first gathered that fall of 98 was, you know, enough is enough, fellas. Virginia hadn't won a championship in 27 years at that point. You know, we'd been close, obviously, but hadn't quite sealed the deal. And uh, it was just a little different sense uh, starting that fall and, and we went on to we won our first championship in '99, and I, I say you know the the key is the leadership from within, you know uh, internal leadership. Uh, you can't push it down from the top; it has to bubble up. And so from Tucker Radebaugh, you know, to 2003 with Chris Rotelli, uh, you know uh, that 2006 team, that undefeated team, had four or five guys that were that that took control of that team to the 2011 group. You know, captains like Steele, but uh, but they, you know uh, another guy by the name of Bray Malfris that that just um, you know provided that leadership from within, commanded that locker room, and that's the that to me is the common thread. And uh, so when I'm talking to these groups and all, I talk about what some of those characteristics are, and and uh, and and that there. So I you know I've, um, it can take some different forms, but I've never had a team be successful without that without without that leadership piece and it doesn't always have to be a championship team 2015 mm-hmm. team ryan tucker was as good a captain as good a leader of it as i ever had and uh mm-hmm. you know we we didn't win it we didn't win the championship that year but we we played as close to our potential as probably any team i'd had previously and uh and so that's the that's sort of the the the, the common piece that that flows through all those teams that's great so you talked about kind of making that new adventure uh, at UVA. You're kind of on a new adventure now this season um, with the Chrome and the PLL. So um, what made you kind of jump to the pro ranks? And was that a call from uh, Paul Rabel? How, how did kind of coaching in the PLL come about? Yeah, uh, I coached in the MLL last, last year. I helped out with uh, with the Cannons. I actually could have had a... I could have been the the head coach of the Cannons a year ago and decided yeah. I wasn't quite ready to do that, you know. Uh, and so I was the essentially was the associate head coach for the Cannons last year. Enjoyed that experience. Sure. Was probably going to go back to the Cannons uh, um, for this current year, uh, 
Uh, that was how I sensed it in the fall. Nobody really knew what to expect from the PLL or, you know, uh, whether or not it was actually going to happen. This is early in the fall. Uh, but I got a call from Paul, and uh, and we started talking. And I think that um, they, they, they have an advisory committee that I think Seth Tierney chairs and, you know, of, you know, eight to ten people that I think made a lot of the early decisions, the personnel decisions and things like that for the league. And I think Paul was going to wanted me to was going to ask me to do that. And uh, I had already thought about it some. And uh, so then we, when we spoke, I, I mentioned to him early on, I said, uh, what about if I coach one of the teams? And frankly, I think I caught him a little bit by surprise. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it was like, yeah, that'd be great. And uh, so, you know, what what worked for me was, um, frankly, a little bit more limited schedule than what they're doing over in the MLL. And this is initially before you think about the competition and the personnel and stuff. Just in terms of the practical piece of it, a little bit more limited schedule uh, than what they're doing in the other league, and uh, and the excitement of joining a sort of a new endeavor, a completely new sure. endeavor. Uh, you know. Um, you're kind of stepping off a cliff a little bit, and uh, so that intrigued me. You know, the, the you know the cannons had been around for the MLL had been around for a long time, and uh, and I don't wish them badly, or you know, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, but the thought of trying something new and being the head coach and in this endeavor, at, um, you know, when I talked after I talked to Paul and thought about it for a bit, I said, yeah, I think I'm going to try that, and uh, you know, and so here we are. Yeah, that's that's great. And um, going off of that, you know, how how is it different from coaching in college? You know, because in college you you coached a bunch of young guys, you kind of got to see them um, progress, and and now you're coaching seasoned veterans. Um, you know, many of them that you actually probably coached uh, for or against um, in college. You know, a lot of the Duke guys you faced in the ACC, like Matt Donowski and Ned Crotty. Um, how's it been coaching those guys? You know, that have a little bit more experience, and what have you um, done to kind of change your coaching style? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I've coached you know uh, against almost everybody on our team and all the other teams, and uh, and so it I was looking forward to to getting up a little bit you know more close and personal with these guys, getting to know them a little bit better, getting to watch them in action and all, you know uh, the, the 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 good and the bad of it. Uh, the frustrating piece of it is is that I wish we had more time with them. You know, I just I've told Mike Rabel. You know, if I could have one wish for this league, it would be that we could practice one more time a week, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe in the future, uh, if salaries continue to rise, I think right now, which is a big change in our sport, you know, it may be half the guys in the PLL make a living in lacrosse, mm-hmm. you know, and so, you know, they may be able to adjust their schedules. Let's say we brought everybody in an, another day earlier, you know, for these weekends, uh, you know, uh, of the of the other half of guys that have real jobs, uh, half of them could probably manage their schedule. So you might be talking about 25% of the guys, but that's a lot of guys still. And so we're not ready to do that yet, but maybe that's in the future. Because there are things that we do on the field, mistakes that we might make, that I see as easily correctable if we could just practice them. You know, uh, when you're talking about, you know, transition defense, it's a full field exercise that, you know, you can't really visualize it unless you can see it, unless you can experience it. And so there are some things that we just, I'd like to say, it's a little frustrating on the sideline at times that we can't, that I can't impact things a little bit more than I would like. Uh, 
the plus of it is that uh, which which is for me is very much outweighs the, any 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 problems. Uh, you know, the, the pluses are getting to know these guys a little bit better. You know, getting to watch them up close. You know, I I I liken it to some of the better teams that I had. I, what for me. What I miss the most about college coaching, about being on the, being with these guys, is being with them every day. Is the practice field, uh, you know, I, what I really enjoyed was when I had good teams that were confident. Uh, you could give these guys a little grief on the practice field, and they would sort of give it back to you in a respectful way, you know. And uh, I, I just loved that, you know. And and so with the PLL. You've, that's what that's what we have here. You know, we we got guy. We got confident, you know, confident players that, uh, um, you know, in two seconds. You know, it's funny. I start coaching uh, even a year ago. Uh, the, you know, they don't the players don't know my language. They don't know any of the drills. You know, at UVA, after a number of years, the upperclassmen can quickly show the you know the freshmen, the new guys. Here's how we do this. Here's how we do this drill. Here's what he wants, you know. But in the PLL, you know, they don't have any idea what I'm talking about when I talk about describing a drill or setting something up. But I would tell you that in 10 seconds, they know exactly what you want. And then in another 10 seconds, they're nuancing the drill, you know, to suit their own abilities and stuff exactly the way you would want them to be doing it, you know. Uh, so it, in all my years coaching, it was my best teams that had those qualities, you know, they were really fun to be around that 2006 team, you know, it was a joy to be on the practice field every day. You know, those guys, they wanted to work. They wanted to be coached. They knew what you wanted. They knew what the level of, of play that was required. That's what it's like being around these guys all the time. They know what's required to be successful. They want to be coached. They want to be leaned on. They want to be told when they're doing things incorrectly and uh, and they're fun to be around on the practice field. I just wish again that I had a little more time on the practice field so we could correct some things and we could just spend more time together on on the practice field. You know, when the games roll out, to be honest, there's not a lot for the coach to do. You know, you, the, the games are only you know they're 12 minute quarters. You only have 20 guys, and so you know when you know Jordan Wolf was struggling a little bit earlier in the year, you know. Uh, he was still playing every minute of every game, you know, so it's not like you can take him out and put somebody, I don't have anybody better than Jordan Wolf on the bench, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, so they just have to, they have to just work through it, you know, uh, you know, in terms of Jordan, I spoke to Jordan, you know, after the first couple of games, I called him up, I said, Jordan, what can I do for you? What can I, how, what, what drill do you want me to do? And he just said, coach, I'm really sorry. I haven't been through a stretch like this in a while. And he, uh, you know, he said, I had never remembered being through a stretch like this. And he just was having a hard time finding the back of the net. And, and then he just kind of played his way out of it. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so. You know, because uh, going off of that, he, he eventually got out of his funk. And him and uh, Jordan McIntosh had a huge day in your guys' first win of this season. Um, obviously, you know, let's talk a little bit about the Chrome season, a little bit of disappointing season. How have you been able to get these guys to stay focused uh even despite you know some adversity yeah well you know uh i had to there was a you know a little adjustment that i had to make you know for myself was not to you know from the very beginning just deciding look i'm not going to lose my mind here you know they they essentially handed us these teams um but uh you know it just my way was just to 
you know, from the first day was to say, look, here's what my priorities are, fellas. My priorities are is that we're going to be supportive and we're going to of each other. We're going to speak to each other in a positive way. We're going to work hard, you know, uh, and uh, can, you know take care of the things that we can control. And uh, and so the piece that for me, uh, like I say, I, you know, we keep score. We're all big boys. You know, we'd like to have a better record than we did. We'd like to have had a better season than we've had. But at the same time. Uh, you know, you don't throw the baby out with the, with the bathwater. You know, it's been gratifying that, frankly, I think we've played hard in every game. You know, uh, um, in the first half of the season, you know, we we uh, we were in overtime, you know, two or three times, and you know, hit the post twice in overtime. In the very first game, we played the Archers and uh, and Justin Gooderding, you know, slammed one off the post that wound up back at the midline in the overtime, and then uh, the first game against Chaos, uh, Jordan hit the post in overtime and. And they, you know, the other team went on to win the game and stuff. And so, um, you know, so the you, you even in the limited time that I have with these guys, they've sort of bought into what we're doing, which is that they're supportive of each other, and and we work hard and play hard, you know. And uh, and you know, and I look at our team, and you know, we're just we're just a player or two away, you know, uh, uh, the, the right guy. And so, uh, I don't think anyone's gotten discouraged and. And, you know, there may be some guys that are thinking to themselves, hey, um, this was a one-year thing for us. I think some of the older guys, you know, came back to try the PLL for a year, so I'm not sure that we'll have everybody back. Uh, but uh, but I think if we can just, you know, add, add, a, add, a, add a player or two in the right spots, you know, I think, we can, uh, I, think we can, I think we can bridge that gap, and I think we're in the hunt very quickly. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So you kind of talked a little bit about kind of the growth of the professional game a little bit. Um, let's talk a little bit about the kind of growth of the game overall. Where do you see the game going? You know, they, they announced um, the potential of it being in the Olympics, obviously, in the next 10 years. Um, they International rules kind of just came out with a different format. What are your thoughts on kind of where the game's going forward? Well, the game is going to be, you know, it's a it's a slow go at the college level. You know, uh, you know, the growth of the game in the college level has been mostly the Division three level and the club level. You know, uh, the problem is that with the big schools is that uh, if you have big time football, you are not, you just are simply not gender equitable, and so it's really hard for those schools to add forty more men to their roster when they're not equitable to start with. So, you know, I, I really think that. Uh, you know, I worry about Utah. You know, they started the program. Everybody thinks that's great, you know, uh, but they are going to struggle to have a schedule until the Pac-12, you know, starts men's lacrosse, which I don't see on the near horizon, you know, and uh, and so I worry about that. And so in terms of the popularity of the game, I mean, the game is very popular. At the, I mean, the, the the bellwether for the for, for lacrosse is probably still the college game. That's the final weekend, you know, the the the, 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 the those final playoff games and all. Uh, but you're not going to see a lot of growth, I don't think, of new big programs there. Or it's going to be very slow. You know, this has been, a, I think, a remarkable year for professional lacrosse. You know, the youth Absolutely. and high school level continues to grow uh, again, but you don't see that doesn't get a lot of the national visibility. Uh, what's happened here with the PLL, you know, and the MLL's had a good year also, but what's happened here in the PLL has been breathtaking almost, you know. Uh, um, the fact that we have gone to these cities, you know, I think that 
there may be a little disappointment with the live crowd at, at some of these sites in the PLL, but I got to tell you, I, it surpassed my expectations. You know, I, I, we in the MLL last year, we went to Atlanta a couple times, yeah. and there was nobody there, you know, uh, and we play in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, and you know, we get 5,000 for three games in a row, you know. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's unbelievable. Uh, and so for the uh, for that that piece of it, and for the the broadcast piece of it, you know, the TV piece of it, all of a sudden, you can see lacrosse on NB on some platform of NBC every weekend. Uh, you know, so I didn't. You know, again, back to the beginning, I didn't know what we were getting into exactly. You know, I didn't know whether or not this barnstorming model was the way to go, but maybe it is. You know, maybe it is. Maybe if uh, if you know that these six teams that that are 90% of the best players in the world are playing on these six teams and they're coming to your city for one weekend. You're, maybe you're packing up the kids and going to the game. And then the rest of the summer, you sit at home in the comfort of your home watching the games on NBC. I mean, maybe that's a better formula than the city-based formula. You know? And again, I'm not here to, to knock the MLL, but maybe this just works better you know, in the summertime months and all. And so what's going on? In the, I mean, the PLL has... The TV audiences have grown every week. You know, uh, I think everybody thinks the TV broadcasts have been great. You know, that the social media piece of it has been through the roof. You know, uh, and so uh, you know, it may just be that we're onto something here, and that this is the this is actually the next big growth period. Uh, certainly, this summer is, but this is an avenue that will continue to grow and. I think it would be really, really exciting for everybody if that, that continues to happen. Uh, you know, so uh, so it's been it's been it's been fun to be involved with the with the mm-hmm. operation. It's been fun to kind of watch it unfold. You know, uh, and uh, it'll it's exciting to think about the future. I think on balance, I think the PLL is having a great first year. When you think of this as being the the first year of this endeavor, uh, and a lot of things could have gone wrong, but a lot of things have gone right. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, you mentioned, like, both the social media, the television. I think, you know, I spoke to Paul and, and Mike at the start of the season, and, you know, this is before a lot of, like, we knew what the broadcast was going to be like, and they just talked about, you know, coming from a clean slate, you know, and I think they've hit on all the points, like you mentioned. Like, we, we tend to get caught up in attendance, and attendance is important, um, but they kind of solved that with having an event-based, you know, model where they're going to these cities. It will never replicate championship weekend in college lacrosse quite yet but that's what their goal was to kind of replicate that in a different city each weekend and then you add in like you said the television aspect of it I, I work in broadcast television so I think that's even more pivotal because now you're going to all these homes in America you know especially when they have the NBC games and the NBC sports games and uh, you're reaching new fans that way too so you know they took like a two-tiered approach to it so I think you make some great points. I, I don't know what spells success for them exactly. Does the social media explosion of it, does that, can you sell that? You know, can you hang your hat on that? You know, does, is the broadcast television piece of it, you know, good enough? You know, and I, I think from what I can gather, I think they're really happy with that part of it, with the, with the broadcast television piece of it. And I, I know some people that are, you know, investors in the league. And they were saying to me early on that uh, the the live attendance is the least important piece of the puzzle for them. You know, uh, they wanted to see the league get off to a great start. 
you know they wanted the you know the broadcast to be first first class uh you know they wanted the league to be received well mm-hmm. i think all those you know i haven't heard a negative thing early on uh, there was a little bit of uh i got a little feedback from some friends you know who watched the nbc gold the cable the the cable piece that uh you know the, the language on it and stuff was a little bit uh, was a little bit much uh but i think for the tv people i think they're sort of happy with it you know yep. uh you know they they want they want the 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 frankness of it and uh and uh, you know they 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 manage that a little bit more with the NBC and the NBC Sports Network but uh but every you know like I say I've hardly heard a negative thing about the broadcast everybody that watches and you know if the if the broadcasts are continue if the audiences are continuing to grow then people are coming back to them and uh and so that's a good thing overall maybe the most important piece of the puzzle I assume yeah, no, definitely, and you can tell like they put a lot of work into it. And you know, working with NBC, you know, it's an NBC production, so you know they they want it to look the best. And you can just it it feels like a real professional league, which you know I think may have been lacking a little bit in the past. But um, kind of going off of that, uh, they have you on Twitter. Um, I think I believe this is like your first kind of year on Twitter. How is you know being on social media been? I I really like you're one of the the coaches that really you know puts a lot out there. Um, personal stuff too which i think is important because i think that's the whole goal too of being on social for the plo is kind of get to know these players better and get to know the coaches you know at a personal level not just you know lacrosse wise so how has that been for you when i first agreed to do this they brought all the coaches into new york city for some introductory stuff uh, back in december or january and uh and so uh tyler steinhardt who handles that piece of it for the for the league uh told all the coaches that told me that you got to go on Twitter if we're going to do this and uh, if you're going to do this and I said okay just show me what it is you know I have no idea what you're talking about and uh, I, you know I hadn't done anything about it up until that point so I've only been doing it since uh, since December January and uh, but the truth is that I'm I'm enjoying it actually and and I can't do it any other way than what you're describing you know is I I'm not going to stand there and just uh, you know for me the, the X's and O's part of it, you know, I still love it, but it's less interesting to me than the than the personal stories, you know, that either whether it's my own personal stories, my own personal story, or that of the players and people I know and people I run into and stuff. That that's a much greater interest to me. You know, I've done a lot of writing in the last few years. I've had a number of articles published in Inside Lacrosse and Lacrosse Magazine and. Uh, and uh, so that when I start, and I used to think of things in story length. I'd wake up in the morning, I have an idea for a story, I'd write the story and all. And uh, so since I've been tweeting, I now think of things in paragraph length. Fit that into a paragraph, you know. And uh, I think to myself, Jesus, that's kind of that's kinda, you know, that's a little distorted, you know. And I think that's ah, just another phase I'm in in my life. And uh, and so uh, I am. It, it, I'm enjoying it. Uh, the personal part of it, uh, which I appreciate hearing that you that you like that part of it, because like I say, I don't think I could do it any other way. Mm-hmm. And uh, and interestingly enough, uh, uh, interestingly enough, so um, I start to tweet. I get a tweet from a guy that says to me, the guy says to me, you should write a book. And so I I tweet back to him. I said, well, we should we should talk. Yeah. And so then we go offline and and communicate with 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 each other. And uh, you know, I've had these series of articles that I've written. Uh, over 50 essays that I've written about leadership and success and zone defense and things like that and some personal stories. And, uh, and, uh, he's a publisher and, uh, I sent him all the stories and, and he said to me, uh, he said, he said he got them. He said, I couldn't put it down, Dom. I'm going to, we want to, I want to publish this as a book. 
So coming out in September, we I have a book coming out, and uh, it's it was all because of a tweet, you know, and uh, and uh, so uh, so it's something to keep an eye out for, and uh, it'll be I still can't believe it's actually going to happen, but uh, it'll it'll really be cool if it uh, if it works itself out. Well, that's yeah. that's incredible. We'll be looking forward to you know reading it when it comes out. And you know you mentioned writing. If you ever we do have a website as well. So if you ever want to write in you know op ed on our our site, you're more than welcome to. And we'll, we can help you know promote the book when it yeah, does come I, out. I tell you know I tell folks the same thing when I go and speak to uh, I speak to a lot of different programs. You know, in the past year I was at Harvard and Tufts and Dartmouth and uh, the James Madison Women and Shenandoah Women and. And I just, you know, I I have friends that say to me, you should have a website, you should charge people. I've never charged anybody for it, you know. If somebody offers to pay me, that's fine, you know. But, but, uh, but generally, I just tell folks, I said, just give me a call and get, let's get on the calendar, you know, or, you know, like you say, if if there's something I can do for you and uh, you have an idea of something you want me to do, just let me know and I'll be happy to take a take a shot at it. Yeah, I'll have to say I um I remember reading uh your your letter to a freshman that was in US Lacrosse magazine a couple of years back and um I coached uh in high school in Pennsylvania and I, I sent that to all my players before they, they graduated. So that was uh, that was something that they really appreciated. So very nice to hear. That's actually one of one of my favorite pieces that I've written, uh you know, and uh like I said, I said the the whole theme of that was that it was a letter I wish I had sent to my son when he went off to college. This has been great. Coach Starja, we, we usually wrap up with a segment we call the five and five. Um, so now to get away from, you know, like the, the big questions, we're going to go into like some five simple answered questions. Uh, it's going to be lacrosse related for the first five and then just life related for the last five. Um, Adam will go first, but yeah, put, kind of put you on the spot, but you know, they shouldn't be too, too, too tough. Well. Yeah, we absolutely. So just do your best and uh, we'll go, go from there. So Adam, why don't you take it away? Yeah, absolutely. So first one, um, as a coach, do you have any uh, pre-game superstitions or routines that you that you do on a game day, game day? I'm not a very superstitious guy, but I would tell you that in two th- I shouldn't be admitting this, but in 2006, I wore the same pair of pants for every game. I never washed them. Uh, it's the same pair of khakis. Uh, I think we wound up 17 and 0 that year. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, I'm a little superstitious anyway. That's awesome. Um, how about your favorite lacrosse memory? I know there's a bunch of them, but any that uh, stick out in your mind? Uh, it'd be hard to limit to one. You know, people have asked me about, uh, you know, the, the great moments and stuff. Uh, when I, you know, being at Zed Williams' graduation a couple of years ago, uh, I think Zed came the furthest from when he committed to UVA to actually being a graduate of the University of Virginia. Uh, being at his graduation was one of the most touching uh, times of my, uh, certainly of my career and in my life. Awesome. Number three, um, which of your Chrome players uh, do you find the funniest? Is the biggest jokester on the team? Uh, there is no doubt that that Connor Farrell is okay. the uh, is uh, is just a joy to be around. All right. Uh, who uh, in the lacrosse community is someone that you admire or looked up, up to? Just kind of quick quick thinking. Who who do you look up to in, in lacrosse? Could be previous coaches, teammates, anyone. Yep. Uh, the person. I mean, there's lots of lots of head coaches, lots of players I admire. Uh, but the, the the guy in the game that I've admired the most over my career is uh, is Mark Van Arsdale, who was my longtime assistant at Virginia. Now the assistant coach at Loyola College and. Uh, yep. 
just uh, one of the one of the great minds in the game and just a wonderful person. Awesome. Uh, and then number five, how, how do you clear your head or before a game or, or after a game? You know, we, we talked, uh, uh, we see you talk about mowing your lawn after some losses on Twitter. Is that is that your main way you clear your head? Um. You know, it just um, you know, usually after a game anyway, it's it's to try to get with my daughters as yeah. soon as possible. You know, uh, um, you know, get, getting you know, in the in the days leading up to a game, I'm, you often forget your family and and uh, you get preoccupied with things. And then uh, when I can see Maggie and Emma after a game, uh, it generally brings me right back down to earth, and uh, and then I'm ready to ready to start over again. That's awesome. That's great. I, I think the family aspect of lacrosse is one that, you know, is often um, stands out to me the most, at least. Um, so that that's the five lacrosse-related questions. Um, now we're going to go into the five life-related questions. So kind of going off of that, what is your favorite thing to do in Charlottesville since you still live there? Um, any places you like to go? Uh, you know, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I don't mean to extend this answer too yeah. much. Uh it's funny. I, you know, when I, especially when I finished coaching, I didn't know where anything was in Charlottesville. You know, uh, to this day, I've been there now almost thirty years. I've never been to Monticello, you know, Thomas Jefferson's home, and stuff. Uh, you know, uh, for me, uh, it was always about. You know, I, I love to go to other games. I love to go to other sports and watch. I like to go to wrestling matches and uh, women's soccer games and volleyball games. And so, sitting in the stands and watching some other coach. Have to uh, you know suffer the slings and arrows, uh, you know, is what I was what I would uh, like to do as much as anything else. That's great. Um, so you mentioned that you studied history in college. Uh, what is your favorite time period in history to study? My favorite time period in history to study, uh, um, you know, I I love the and it's related to lacrosse, uh, and I probably haven't done enough studying of it, but. Uh, you know the I did the the the, the I love to study about Native Amer I love the Native American culture I love to study it now and uh, be a part of it I'm, I'm very respectful of it I was on the Tuaretan the original Tuaretan committee mm-hmm. I love the fact that the Tuaretan group uh, you know went to the Native American people and asked if we could use the name on the award uh, mm-hmm. and uh, so that 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 piece of it that, those early years of American history. Are, are what uh, are what truly intrigue me. It's awesome. So uh, going off of that, do you have any hobbies or activities that you enjoy doing when you're not coaching? Um, uh, you know, I I used to do. I have done some woodworking. I love to work with my hands. Uh, um, uh, but I, you know, probably this, you know, more recently, it's it's the writing part. You know, I li- I like to I like to write and. Uh, um, I feel like it may be a substitute for me uh, for not, you know, I, I I wasn't ready to give up the ghost in terms of the sense of having something worthwhile to say to people on a daily basis. You know, you're talking to college kids, and I think the writing has been a substitute for that for me, and so it may be overcompensating for the fact that uh, that I don't have a you know, I don't have a team to talk to every single day, and so I, I really do enjoy the writing. That's great. Um, okay, so following that. Uh, what is your favorite meal, and do you prefer the dine out, take out, or cook at home? Um, uh, my favorite meal would be just about anything Italian, uh, probably lasagna. I married a, a lasagna, by the way. I married Kristen lasagna. You know, if you know Peter <laughs> lasagna up at Bates, and, 
It's, it's I don't I don't love the food just because of her name, but I've I've always if I had to choose a you know a, a good Caesar salad and a lasagna with some garlic bread, and I'm I'm as happy as can be, and I can cook a mean one myself. But I'm just as soon, you know, sit at the, the the local restaurant Vivaci and 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 have it there too, you know. So excellent! Now, congratulations too to you and your wife. I know you just tweeted recently that you're celebrating your uh, 42nd anniversary. So I wanted to, you know, give you guys kudos for that. Um, all right. So our final one is: What is a book on your bookshelf that you have read that you'd recommend uh, to a teammate or a friend or a, a coach or you know one of your players? Uh. uh my my favorite coaching book is uh, actually the Carolina Way by Dean Smith. Uh, I I really liked. I thought Dean Smith uh, was a very grounded guy. Kind of caught me by surprise when I read it. Uh, you know, generally, you know, UVA people are not allowed to like things that come in uh, in Carolina blue. But uh, but I loved his. Uh, he was well ahead of his time on social issues uh, and. Uh, I really enjoyed that about him. I just thought he was you know, very, very centered. Uh, you know, his statement about uh, being a worthwhile exercise to study a championship heart uh, really struck home with me in terms of what I do and why I do it. And uh, and so that's I usually recommend that to, to young coaches. That's awesome. We'll, we'll both be adding your book soon in September to our, our bookshelf too. So Yeah, no, that's excellent. It's exciting to, to hear that it's coming out. Uh, well, Coach Starza, this has been awesome. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, especially, you know, following a game weekend, we appreciate you coming on with us. Um, but uh, with that, you know, that, that concludes our podcast, and we just want to thank you again for giving us your time. Absolutely. My pleasure, fellas. Uh, we look, say, look forward to catching up again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, Coach. Absolutely. Thanks, Coach. Thank you, Coach.